My neighbor, let's call him Bill, invited me to church this weekend. He's a Christian, evangelical, Bible-believing, no, I'm not kidding you type of Christian. I told him I'd think about it. Bill invites me to church every now and again. Nice guy, not particularly bright, but what do you expect? Well, I'll tell you, I have thought about it, and I have a few questions. Frankly, the more I think about it, why would I want to go to a Christian church with or without Bill, the more questions I come up with. Wow, I'm starting to feel that a lot more myself as I encounter people, encounter my children's generation, this idea that all of a sudden following Jesus or being a part of a church is not really considered to be a valuable option. And so I want to talk about that today. I'm so glad to be here. And I want to say, uh, first of all, that it is uh, such a joy, and, I got, and a lot of you won't know this, but... Uh, you know, Dave Nelson and the team here, Dave Elsog, have really were uh, kind of primary movers in starting the Loving Utah Church Planning Network that's been, been meeting. And I got to tell you, we've, we've uh, at Kensington, we've had a chance to launch a lot of churches. I think this year we're going to launch our 56th, 57th, and 58th churches in the U.S., including San Francisco and Boston. And uh, things that I never dreamed about. We never dreamed, honestly, that we'd start a church in Salt Lake City. To be honest, that really wasn't big on our radar. But you know what? When God moves, you really don't know. But what I want you to know is the Loving Utah Network is really starting to get some traction. There were about 100 of us gathered, and I have to say it was maybe one of the highlights of my whole year. It's been a great year, but I tell you, it was a highlight because there are men and women that are willing and wanting to give their life in leading the movement and the growth of the church in the Salt Lake Valley and beyond. And it is a really good bunch of people. And so I just want you to know that and to know that that would not have happened and wouldn't be happening without your generous support, your giving, uh, your partnership in this. And it makes me very, very proud to be a part of it. I also want to say today in talking about uh, pe people think Christianity is a, a joke because it's pretentious. Well, Dan Juma just shared of loving the refugees of this region. It certainly doesn't feel anything like a joke, does it? Does it? No, I mean, it's, it's really unbelievable. And for those of us that are part of K2, what an amazing opportunity. What an amazing time in history. Now, I do want to say this before I kind of jump into the, the story of the Good Samaritan. I want to say this. There is part of following Jesus that's always going to be a joke to the world. This is really important to know. But I hope it's not because it's pretentious. The part that's always going to be confusing to people is actually captured in the, in the New Testament. After the resurrection of Jesus, Paul is writing to one of the churches in the city of Corinth. And he says this, We preach Jesus Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness, to Gentiles. What's he saying? He's saying Jesus Christ crucified, and then to go on to say Jesus Christ risen, 
is a joke to people. It's always going to feel ridiculous to people who say, oh, you base your whole life on the fact that a guy lived a sinless life, was crucified, and rose again from the dead. And for those of us who have experienced him, we say, yeah, we're actually willing to stake our whole life on this. And to, to many people, this is always going to appear to be foolishness. But here's what I want you to know. Let's let people think that's foolishness. That's okay. But for them to think that the behavior of, that we are operating in, where we maybe appear better than or removed from people, that's a message we don't want them to see. And here's what I love. The Good Samaritan is maybe the perfect story to look at today because it captures the opposite truth of pretentiousness. Because you know what? When you're pretentious or you're trying to put on a mask, you're trying to show that yourself, maybe that you're better than, than somebody else or that you're higher than somebody else. The Good Samaritan story is the story where um, it's the complete opposite. It's where Jesus shows a man who is willing to cross barriers to show love. And here's what we know. If you've read the New Testament, Jesus didn't live high and removed from people. What got him into trouble was what? Was he was considered like one of the guys. Like just, you know, like he mingled and mixed in all kinds of places that he did not worry about his public reputation. He came to break down walls of hatred that had stood for centuries and millennia. And he created, an, and for us, a new way to live. It's not a joke. And no one that I've ever heard that has ever read this story in any way thought this was silly. You read this story and you go, this is how I know I want to live. But I don't know if I have the courage to live this way. I know this is how I want to be loved. And I thought today, as you are walking in here today, people are coming in, the people you know. Every one of us can relate to being alone and being afraid. Can we? Okay. Everyone knows what it's like to hope someone will come to help. I remember in fifth grade, one of the kind of turning point moments of my life, I was in fifth grade and um, at my, Snowden Junior High School, it was grades one through nine. And there was a sixth grade kid named Bruce Barber. And he was always beating, beating people up. And I was large for my age and soft. Bruce Barber was half my size and was the toughest guy in the school. He was actually later kicked out of the school for pulling a knife on the principal. I did not know this at the time. But he was beating up the class clown. Richard Lowe was a friend of mine. And he was, and there, there, was a, there was a moment in the, in the playground where he would straddle on top of Richard and was just punching him in the face. Now, this is back in the days where you're like, where were the adults? Where were the adults? And the answer was probably back in the, in the building having coffee because they would just, they would turn us loose. And it did, you know, it just, that was the way it was. Well, I went over to Bruce and I tried to pull him off a couple times, and he kind of ignored me. I pulled him off. I was strong enough to pull him off, and then he'd just crawl right back on Richard and just start hitting him again. And then about the third time I pulled him off, he turned and looked at me and made eye contact. And I remember thinking, hmm, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. And so at that moment, 
God allowed the bell to ring. So we all had to go back into the school. After school that day, I'm walking home, and I'm halfway home, and behind a hedge, out steps Bruce Barber with five of his closest comrades. And I'm alone. And he says, hey, I didn't like you. I didn't like you grabbing me today. And it escalated. We got into a fight. Now, I got to tell you, I fought valiantly. <laughs> Until about five seconds in, he hit me right in the right eye. He cut my eye. It was a grievous scar, which you can see today. It's probably like a, probably one drop of blood. But I mean, he hit me in the face and I just, I just curled up. I quit. And then he said, if you ever touch me again, or you ever bother me again, I'll, I'll really let you have it. And I remember just laying on the ground, just kind of in shock. And he and his buddies walked off. And I remember the whole time this happened, I thought, people, this was the busiest street in our area. Like somebody's got to see me and come to my rescue. Nobody did. And I want to tell you, the day Bruce Barber got kicked out of school the next year was the happiest day of my life. Because <laughs> I lived in terror for a year. You see, what I experience is what everybody experiences at some point. Everybody knows what it's like to feel despised or to feel isolated. And what is it like when someone comes to the rescue? That's what I want to talk about. That's why Dan Juma, where are you? Just if, if he's going to be here today, I, I'm telling you, what he's doing, uh, you talk about these refugees coming into this country at this time in our history and the fear that they're living with of being unloved and unwanted, this is an unprecedented opportunity. And so today, let me just open with prayer and let's talk about what does it mean when we do something which is the opposite of pretentious. Lord, thank you for this precious room. Thank you for my brothers and sisters gathered here. And Lord, let this truth live into our hearts today. Show us something incredible through this story that you told us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you ready? You ready? Up here? Okay. Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? This man answered, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answered, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But the man wanted to justify himself. Now, who likes to do that? Okay, the rest of you that didn't raise your hands, you're lying. It's, it's a sin to lie in church. He wanted to justify himself. I thought, this is me in the story. He asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus tells him this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. By the way, uh, Chris Arbaugh is one of our teaching pastors at, at our Clinton Township campus in Detroit. His son is at Moody Bible in the city of Chicago, and last night he ju got jumped by 12 guys and got beaten severely and uh, <clears throat> had his jacket and his shirt torn off, and then these guys that jumped him took videos of him laughing and then strolled off down the street, like have no idea. Can you imagine the humiliation that he would have felt? 
And so it says, in, uh, they left him half dead. This is the, continue. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, and pass by on the other side. So let me freeze for just a minute. Some of you are, are wondering uh, who are the priests and who are the Levites. The priests were the descendants of Aaron, the brother of Moses. And the priests were the people that were to represent the people to God. And so Jesus is telling this story. The man who's beaten up is obviously a Jewish man. So the priest who comes by first is a man who has the same belief system. He has, they believe the same thing about God. They believe the same thing about the scriptures that, that we would call the Old Testament. They believe in the Ten Commandments, believe in all these things. They are perfectly in sync on their belief system. The first thing you see about pretentiousness is it doesn't matter if you have the same belief system if you're not willing to cross the road. And then the Levite comes. Who's the Levite? The Levites were the, were the rest uh, of kind of the, the, the part of Israel that were to support the priests. So it was the priests and then their, their assistants. The Levites did more than nuts and bolts of the temple and the sacrificial work, but the same belief system. So of all the people you'd expect to help, these would be the two guys, but they don't help. I just want to say this. I, I read this story, and I think I am a pastor, I'm not a not a priest, but I'm the pastor of a local church. And I thought, how many times have I walked past someone in need? It's shameful for me to think about it because I didn't want to get involved. I didn't want to step into it. And so when Jesus tells this story, he's talking directly to the man who's asked this question. The other thing you've got to think about is then it says in verse 33, a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. See those words? Just identify those. Took pity on him. Think about that. We're going to come back to that. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, putting on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. Let me just say this about Samaritans. A Samaritan was a part of a racially mixed society, with Jewish people and people that locally lived in the region around Israel. So they would have been uh, uh, like had Jewish connections, but, but were not considered purely Jewish. They had some different belief system, although they worshiped the same God as did the Jews. They worshiped Yahweh, but their religion was not mainstream Judaism. And this is what we know. Those of you who've read this story before, you know that, that Jewish people would go out of their way to avoid the region of Samaria. They'd actually walk miles and miles out of the way to not have to go through the region because they despise these people. So the Samaritan is the person that responds. He takes him to the inn. He takes care of him. And then the next day, he takes out two silver coins. It's a lot of money in this story and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus asked the question to the man that had tested him. He tests him in return. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? 
And the expert, the religious expert replies, the one who had mercy on him. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. This guy's racism, ethnicism, is so deep that he cannot even say the word Samaritan. He will not say it was the Samaritan who did it because it's going to give more credit to a person he despises. And then Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. So who's my neighbor? The religious man is asking Jesus to define with crystal clarity the greatest of the commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he does this by telling of a story of a hero who the people, the listeners, wouldn't even associate with. Think of your worst enemy. Jesus could tell this modern story, and he could say, and so a Christian guy gets beaten up, and uh, the local pastor, Dave Nelson's too busy because he's going to his hair appointment. <laughs> or Eric Winter, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's got to respond to the Oakland alumni. He's got to go read his Oakland University alumni magazine. Uh, and so they pass by. But meanwhile, a refugee from Afghanistan, a Muslim man, walks by, finds this man, and helps him. Jesus says, that's your example here. That's the image of the story that he's telling. Jews of that day would walk, as I said, to 12 miles out of the way to avoid this connection to having contact with Samaritan people. In fact, when Jesus asks him to show compassion, the religious leader can't even say the name Samaritan, so he answers the one who had mercy. But Jesus is driving us somewhere, and this is the first thing I want you to see today. If, if we are not going to be seen as pretentious, you say, what, uh, by the way, when I was a young man, Christianity in American culture still had a sense of leverage, still had a sense of credibility and representation within our culture. If there's any left, it's all but gone. I mean, if there's any left, this, this year, Chris Lambert, one of our church plants, uh, started a movement called Life Remodeled in Detroit where he's mobilized the churches of Detroit where every summer for seven days they take a, a, an area of the city, they take a high school, and they do a million-dollar project on the high school, and then they restore the 10 city blocks around that high school. He's been doing it for four or five years now. It's an amazing ministry that this guy's created. In the Detroit area magazines over the last five years, there has, on any given year, there's never been more than one article written, and it's never even made it closer than the fifth page of the newspaper or the bottom of the website. And do you know how many volunteers volunteered this year to do this project? 14,000. 14,000. Now, think of all the things that make the head of the website or the newspaper or the local news. But because it's a Christian guy leading a Christian movement to love the city, by the way, where the Muslim, several Muslim um, mosques were involved this year. Jewish leaders came in. We had uh, Hindu involvement as well that came in and part of this. And you can't even get one line on the front page. I'm just telling you, is there anything bigger news in Detroit this year than 14,000 people converging on a region to love it? It's actually 
rekindle the relationship between churches in the suburbs and churches in the city. It's, it's completely transformed the city. And you can't even get one word written about it. It's fascinating. So when I say this, this is my point. Our only leverage in the future as Christians is this. <coughs> the only thing that's going to be credible is love in, excuse me, love in action. You can see this next screen. When love is action and sacrifice, it's never a joke. I don't think people care anymore what we think, even what we think about Jesus. If we say we care and we don't do anything, it's a what? Say it. It's a joke. Say it out loud. If we don't do what we say, it's what? It's a, it's a joke. The Bible nails this truth. 1 John 3.17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in them? It's the same word, right? The good Samaritan saw this guy and took what? Pity. Now, in a different context, many years later, John, the apostle, who the follower of disciple of Jesus says, if, if there's no pity, there's no love. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And by the way, in the early church, they didn't have any credibility. They didn't have any, their only reputation was their love in action. Their ability to love their enemies, their ability to step across. I personally find that the loss of the credibility of the church is the greatest thing to happen in our lives. I'm glad we've lost our credibility as institutions. Now we have a chance to be like the early church, to love in action and in truth. So I want to challenge you today. Don't let go of what you believe about Jesus Christ and about the Bible but let it be reflected in a reckless love. Because our Savior loved recklessly. That's why perfect to have, because he first loved, ministry here today with Dan Juma. That is the heart of Jesus. That is taking pity. Pity on him literally means, I think if you really got to the core of the Hebrew meaning of this word, it would be to take action. Pity is taking action. There's no pity without action. And what's cool about this, it's it's action for someone whom he knew despised him. Now imagine this, that you're stopping and you're helping someone who's in trouble and the person you're gonna help considers you less than human. Like you're garbage to the person who's lying bloodied and beaten in the ditch. And yet that person, if he could speak, is going to look at you and consider you the value of a worm. That's what makes this story so fantastic. The guy is loving a guy, reaching out to a guy he knows looks down on him. He takes action. You see, it has to go beyond emotion. It has to translate into action. I want to give you a great example and this is for Eric and Dave. For years, for, for 23 years, I've lived across the street from Oakland University. Uh, how many of you have even heard the phrase, Oakland University? Show of hands. Oakland University. Okay, about eight of you. It's the greatest university in the United States of America. <laughs> Just kidding. It also happens to be the alma mater of Eric Winter and Dave Nelson. 
Huh? Both of you guys went there, right? Famous. They're, they're actually, there's a statue of these two guys on the university. <laughs> but over the years, actually, Eric and Dave, would, you'd hardly recognize if you haven't been there. It's, uh, they've done the last 10 or 12 years a billion dollars of development on the, on the university. I've watched it grow in a complex that reaches tens of thousands of students to be educated. And over the last 15 or 20 years, I've watched the world come to Oakland University. Like, like people from every continent, from dozens and dozens of nations. And for years, I thought about, I need to do something. I'm the pastor of a local church. I should do something about it. Do you know what I, I should? These immigrants, students are coming in. They don't know anybody. I know they're open to any kind of relationship or friendship that would be offered. And you know what I did for 10 or 15 years? Go ahead, you guess, because I'm a pastor. I did nothing. I walked on the other side of the road because I'm a hypocrite. About five years ago, I thought, man, if I don't do something, I don't know. I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I didn't do anything. You know why? Because here's the, here's the point, the truth I want to leave with you today. Crossing the road will cost you something every time. You see, if I were going to cross Walton Boulevard, which I'm only, a, I'm literally 300 yards from the university, and, and, and it's just across, it's across the street from the little subdivision where I live. But you know what? I didn't cross that road for 15 or 20 years. You know why? Because it was going to cost me something. Some of you today, God is calling you to do something. God's calling you to join the K2 force in the world, but you've hesitated because you know it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your time. Maybe, maybe you're not going to have time to re recheck your fantasy football team lineup every week. That was supposed to be funny. That wasn't funny at all, was it? <laughs> I'm saying that because my wife caught me checking my fantasy team last night. So but I didn't do anything because it was going to cross me. It was going to cost me something. Now, in this story, Jesus describes a journey. I just want to go back to the story, and I want you to, in case you've never seen the road from Jerusalem to Jericho where the story takes place, it's not long, but it's, eight, it's 18 miles, but it's difficult and dangerous. And there's a reason Jesus used this story as the setting for the parable, because it was known as a place of ambush. It was actually known in their culture as the Bloody Pass. Jerusalem was at 1,200 feet above sea level, by the time you get down to Jericho, you're 22 feet above sea level. You're actually near the, Jericho's real near the Dead Sea, if you've ever been there. And it's a steep and dangerous road. Let me show you some pictures, just for fun. This will this lock in your mind. So here's the, uh, here's what the kind of, what the road looks like. And your Jerusalem would be way off in the distance. You're coming down this road. Go ahead, keep, keep popping these through. These are pretty cool. Now that's a serious road, isn't it? Look at that, you're winding your way down. That is almost what it would have looked like in Jesus' time. Imagine doing that. Now, look at that. You see that trail? Wow, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Any more? I had a bunch of these. It's fun. Okay, I think that's enough. How many of you uh, go to work on a road like that? You doing your business travel? How many business travelers, men and women? This is serious stuff. And this is what happened. The reason Jesus tells this is because he wants you to know the cost that it's going to be if someone stops and helps. I'm sure the priest and the Levite looked at this man lying there and wondered this. What, what's the first thing you're going to wonder? You see a person lying in a pool of blood or lying in the ditch. What's the first thing you think of? Go ahead, you. 
What's the first thing you think of? Is it fake? You wonder, am I going to do anything? And I know what I would think. I'd be, I'd look, be looking at the guy here like, is it fake? And secondly, I'm like, are those, are those guys still around? Are they coming back? This is a, this is a Jesus warned, you know, that this is going to cost somebody something. And here's what happens. The priest and the Levite asked the same question. I want you to write this down if you've got your phone or whatever. I want you to remember this question because this is going to be the turning point. This is the turning point for all of us. The priest and the Levite basically asked this question. I'm just surmising this from the story. They say to themselves, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? If I stop to help this man, what will happen to? Come on. If I stop to help this man, what will what will happen to me? Isn't that, what we, isn't that the question we ask? What if you stop and help somebody on the road? You could be killed to help stop and help somebody on the road. Now, I'm not telling you to, to stop and help people on the road, but I'm saying for some of you, men, maybe God's telling you, I don't know that. Women, please don't do that. Children. But I'm just saying if God is nudging you to do something dangerous, why not do it? I remember when our kids were young, Paul and I, People thought we were crazy. We sent our kids all over the world. Our kids lived all over the world serving Christ. And they said, you're crazy. I said, no, you're crazy. I said, the local university is way more dangerous than any place we're sending our kids. Because the world's a dangerous place, right? But I said, if our kids get hurt, or if you get hurt, doing something out of love for Christ and love for people, it's worth the danger. And here's what I want you to think about today. Have you been living by this question? If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Have you? Raise your hand if that's a question you live by. Okay? I'm asking myself that question all the time. If I stop to help, what, what is it going to cost me? And so often, I don't want to pay the price. But then the good Samaritan comes by and he asks a different question. This is the second question I'd love you to write down and think about. His question was totally different. His question is, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to, to him? You see, it's just a reversal. Jesus is saying, pretentious Christianity that everybody thinks it's a joke is because you're asking the question, what about you? You're voting, what about you? You're investing, what about you? You're living, what about you? How do I know you're doing that? Because it's what I do. And Jesus is saying, if the world's going to believe, they're going to have to see something completely different. They're going to have to hear a different question. If I don't stop to help this man, let's say it together, what will happen to him? This is the question that could change everything for us. What will happen if I don't care for others around me who are lonely or strangers and confused? Ramesh, Subkota is a is, a, is our partner in Nepal, and he's living in, in our area for the, the next couple of years. He's already started a Hindi-speaking Hindu church at, at our Troy campus. And he just came back from rescuing uh, four girls that were, little girls that were born in a brothel that are under age 10 that were getting ready to be trafficked. And he was part of a raid in Mumbai, India, to rescue these girls. He can't even talk about it without weeping. But you know what he said to me about Detroit? He says, Steve, you have a very short window of time. And if you don't reach these people that are coming now, they're going to reach you later. Because now they have a need. Now they have a, a, a sense of isolation and fear. They don't feel loved or wanted. If you don't reach them now, they're going to reach you later. 
You got a window to love. You got a window to say, if I don't stop to help, what will happen to that person? And you know what the greatest tragedy of American, the Amer- American Christianity the last decades is we have been, as a church, asking the first question, if we don't do this, what will happen to us? And that question has to go away. You hear me? That has to go away. That is never the question that Jesus asked. It is never the question that the apostles asked. Now, I'm back to Oakland University. Eight years ago, nine years ago, I met a man named Cam Underdown. He was a high school, he was a college student at Oakland University. He had come to Christ through our little pretty pathetic college ministry that we had on the campus through, through Kensington. It was not a great ministry. He was a college kid. He was quirky and different. He had a mullet when I met him. When, when I met Dave Nelson 30 years ago, he had a mullet. Sweet, man. Bring up that picture. Must be something about mullets, but Cam Underdown had a mullet. And he was always wearing this gnarly bandana. Pathetic kid. Little did I know that he was going to become my son-in-law. Wow. He started bringing college kids from Oakland University over to our house. This is before we even knew he was interested in our daughter. Stealth. (laughs) And all of a sudden, Paula and I, after years of thinking about Oakland University and doing exactly how much? Zero. All of a sudden, our house is filled with Muslim young men and women and Hindu men and women and atheist young men and women. And they're coming into our house and people from Europe and people from Asia, people from Africa starting to come into our house because this quirky, squirrely kid with a mullet. He started coming to our house for meals. Cam loved to cook, and he'd say, hey, can I use your house to cook for meals? And they'd come in meals and games because of Jesus' love for to Cam. Three nights ago, Cam threw a party for Oakland international students that are brand new to America, threw a Halloween party for 200 international students, came to the party just a half a mile from our house, loving these people. He got 70 families from Kensington this year to deliver welcome boxes to these international students coming to Oakland University because Oakland University uh, just puts them in apartments that are basically empty. There'd be fa- international families coming to study here and their, their baby's sleeping on the rug, on the floor, with a sheet. Because no, and so he's created a ministry where, where locals can give away the furniture and the stuff they don't need, and then he delivers, he created a website so that they can actually order furniture free for their, for their apartments. In other words, he turned love into action. This is what it's all about. This is why crossing the road will cost you. It's cost him time and money and inconvenience and sacrifice, because to, di- to give your life away is difficult. And to give your life away in different cultures and backgrounds and ideologies, and you don't understand people. I'm going to explain how to to cross this line in just a minute. But Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? What's the answer to that? If you love those who love you, what what is the implication of that? What credit is that? Zero credit. But even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. But what's the next part? If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what a credit. Even sinners expect that. But so what's the conclusion? But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High. 
So what reflects our sonship or daughtership in Christ to the world? It's loving those who don't love us and whom we don't love. And sometimes that's our own kids. Sometimes that's our own parents. But love, when you don't feel loving or you don't feel loved, that's when the rubber meets the road. One more passage, John 13. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know, all people know, you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus actually boils all the commands of the Old Testament into one command here. He says, as I have loved you, so love. Okay, let's just do it together. Point your hand up. Okay, go ahead, everybody, 100%. Everybody, say, Jesus says, as I have loved you. Okay, bring it down. Love comes down. As I have loved you. Let's say it together. As I have loved you, so love others. Go ahead. As I have loved you, love others. You receive his love, you give his love. That's the command. Receive Jesus. Let Jesus Christ fill your life by his Holy Spirit. As we have been loved, then we do what? We so love. One more time. Just remember, as, as I've been loved, so I love. Okay. Imagine what would that look like, what that would look like to the world. And here's the clincher, and then I'm almost done. Jesus, who is Jesus in this story? He's the Good Samaritan. We're not the Good Samaritan. He is. He's the one who crosses the road. And who's the person lying in the ditch? It's you. You're lying in your blood and hopelessness. Jesus came to find you, whoever you are, whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not here today. He came and found you. And then as a result, when we realize that he came for us, then by his power and by his love, we can go out. You see, Jesus came and found us. And so now if we do anything, we do it because his life begins to work in us. So let me just give you three action points. I want to beg you today to do this with me. Don't be like me, looking at Oakland University for 20 years. Don't look at a ministry that God's burned in your heart and just kind of let it drift away. This is what I would say to you. Number one, decide today a barrier of discomfort that you are going to cross. Would you write this down? For those of you that are your phone or whatever, decide today and do it. If you're here with family members, talk about it today. What's the barrier of discomfort God's calling you to cross? Is it someone you've been holding, withholding love from because they're a different ethnicity or a different ideology or a different politics or a different socioeconomic background? Is there a barrier God is calling you to cross? Number two, ask God to help you see how beautiful people are. One of the privileges that Dave and I and a lot of us have had in traveling the world is you travel the world and you just realize how beautiful people are. Do you, I, you know, if, if the predominant culture in Salt Lake City and in Detro Detroit for all these years has been white, would have been white and would have been Anglo or Caucasian and African American. And now we have all of these other faces that have come into and everyone is beautiful. I'm just telling you. Ask Jesus to say, Jesus, let me see how beautiful people are. Different shades of skin different hair texture or no hair texture, <laughs> different culture, 
different age, experience, approach and engage to make Jesus beautiful in the church and at K2. What if every one of us committed to going out of our way to speak to you? I'm just talking about even when we're here. What if we stepped into conversation intentionally with someone that you don't know and are nervous to meet? What if there was a whole battalion of K2 people who their, whole, their, their ministry was just inviting people to go out to the local hamburger place after service? What if that was just your only ministry? It would be unbelievable. And three, I just want to say, so the first one is what barrier are you going to cross? Ask Jesus to change your vision, to see people in a new way, how beautiful they are. And three, Understand this. Why is the church so important? Because we have the chance to bring light and hope to people. This was so funny at Michigan State this year, and this is in honor of K2's Michigan roots. Kurt Gibson was the keynote speaker for the Michigan State graduation. If you're a baseball, football fan, you remember Kurt Gibson. And he's not the first guy you would have picked to speak at a commencement. But he said in the cha- about the changing world, he said these words, and I've just, man, they've stuck with me this year. He says, get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's what the church needs to do. So as the band is coming out, I want to invite you to say, where is Jesus calling you to get comfortable being uncomfortable? Because crossing the road is going to cost you something every time. One of the reasons that we give sacrificially here at K2, and by the way, that sacrificial giving has included me through the years, is because we have a chance to do what? To change this image of being pretentious to being vulnerable, to crossing the road. This is why we give our money. Because why? Because we're his front line. And this is the place where we regroup in Jesus. We're reminded of what we're, to, what we're about. And this is the place from which we go out into the world, supporting and cheering each other on to live as Jesus lived as the Good Samaritan. This is why we give. This is why we come together. So the Connections team, uh, come on forward to, to do that. You can go ahead and receive that offering now. And I want to, gone a little bit long, been, been a little excited. But I want to show you one last picture of crossing the road. Just an image for you. This is my last image I want to leave with you today. Now, those are four beautiful kids. Wouldn't you say? If you don't, I'm going to come punch you. Those are my grandchildren. And my grandchildren, two of them are biological, two of them are adopted. But here's what I, here's what I want to say to you. They are an image to me. Just look at them. You love them already, don't you? Don't you? Yeah, that's what I thought. When when I look at them, I see what is most beautiful and hopeful for the whole world. But I also see what is most vulnerable. And I thought, you know what? Someday... Someday they're going to be lying in a ditch somewhere. (laughs) Someday. 
And I thought, who's going to cross the road to love them? Because they're, they're the most important thing in my life. Who's going to cross the road for them? Because that's going to be real love. But here's the other thing I see when I look at them. This is really important. I see how Jesus sees you. This is how Jesus sees you. Like I look at these kids and I'm telling you, they're worth the whole universe. And when Jesus looks at you, that's what he feels about you, but even more so. And so as we finish this day, let's commit to crossing the road. Let's commit to joining together like we've never joined before so that the people in this world would know that this is how we see them, whoever they are. This is how we see them. Oh God, our Father, thank you for sending Jesus to save us. Thanks for opening our eyes. Thanks for not leaving us alone in our mess, in the ditch, but coming to find us. And so now, send us out to share your reckless love. In Jesus' name.